Welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast of Hill Country Bible Church, Georgetown. The podcast bringing you biblical messages that encourage you to put Christ at the center of everyday life. We're here to help you engage in the local church and to invite you into a life that matters through Jesus. If you have any questions about your next step, visit us online at hillcountry.life. And now for today's message. All right. Well, uh, thanks everybody for being here. We are in the middle of this series uh, called Modern Idols and talking about how they want to wreck our lives. Um, And this week we're looking at everybody's favorite idol uh, and favorite thing to talk about, money. Um, So, aren't you glad you came this morning? Uh, I mean, but seriously, talk about an idol that can wreck people's lives. Uh, We see this time and time again. Many marriages are ended over money fights. Uh, Families, can I've seen this so many times and it's so sad to me. Families uh, get ruined and they get bent out of shape around inheritance uh, issues to the the point where siblings who grew up together and uh, share so many memories together don't even talk to each other anymore. Gambling, gosh, gambling can be so addictive and people end up losing everything. And so you can't really talk about modern, modern idols and not talk about money. And it reminded me of that, that old saying, money talks. You remember that? Money talks. And so if money talks, what would it say if it were trying to pull us away from God, if it were trying to take the place of God in our lives, if it were, if we're, if it were trying to be an idol in our lives? And then on the flip side, what would money say if it were trying to lead us in the direction of God, to draw us closer to him? And we're going to look at both of those today. And uh, Stephanie and I, uh, we've had this conversation uh, kind of frequently lately, but it seems like life was so much easier when we didn't have as much money. You feel that way? Not that we're rolling in it right now or anything uh, like that, but we have a little bit more to work with than what we used to. And I've never really thought about it until Stephanie uh, the other week said, yeah, we just have so many more options and choices now. Meaning when we first got married, we didn't go on trips, we didn't go on vacations that just wasn't in the cards, right? We didn't, we didn't go on, out for nice dinners that, that wasn't in our budget, that option wasn't there for us. We didn't, we didn't have nice cars. In about 2005, I remember taking Stephanie out on one of our very first dates in this lovely 1990 Dodge Dynasty. I mean, it had a bench seat in the front. It's one of the, like, <laughs> it, it was wonderful. It, and I remember taking her out on this date, and vividly, I remember smoke and steam pouring out of the vents as we broke down. It was just the sight of, in the pinnacle of romance. Now, luckily, she uh, laughed it off and let me take her out on another date, thank God, um, But back then, life was just so much more simple. Before we had all of these choices, all of these distractions, but now we have options. Do we save? Do we invest? Do we splurge? Do we buy something for the kids? Do we go out for a nice dinner? Do we go on vacation? And with so many distractions, so many choices, comes stress and worry. And then the thought, are we really all that much happier now that we have a little bit more to work with than than before? 
And through the, the whole thing, through life, through Dodge dynasties all the way up till now, money is saying something to us on a daily basis. And so what would money say if it was trying to pull us away from God? I think the first thing it would say is compare yourself only with people who have more than you. You know this. You do this. Compare yourself only with people who have more than you. Don't look at people who have less. Look at people who have more. And I'd imagine most of us know how destructive this can be. And as parents of youngish kids, we have a 12-year-old, an 11-year-old, and a 9-year-old. This is so dangerous for Stephanie and I. Because if you ask our kids, everyone has more than we do, right? Everyone in their class has a cell phone. Everyone is wearing this brand or that brand, and everyone is going there for vacation. Everyone's playing this video game on this particular system. I mean, when compared to everyone else, sometimes if you ask our children, it seems like we are poor and destitute and can barely put food on the table. <laughs> and of course, none of that is true. But the perception, when you compare yourself to everyone else, can so easily be skewed. See, there's something deep in the human heart here. And money will say to you, keep, keep looking at people who have more than you. And just think about how much happier you would be if you just had what they had. But Proverbs says, a heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. And a man by the name of Harold Coffin said, said it really well. He said, envy is the art of counting the other fellow's blessings instead of your own. And man, have we made that an art. On the other side, if money were trying to lead us toward God, I think it would say, no, don't compare yourself to other people. As a matter of fact, don't look to me for contentment. Don't look to money for contentment. Don't look to stuff for contentment. It's so easy for us to believe the lie that if I just get that new house or that new car, then, then I'll be happy. Then I'll be content. If I just get that new computer or that new golf club or that new dress or motorcycle or guitar or whatever it is for you, if I only get that, that thing I've been wanting, then I'll be content. But it won't happen, right? We know this. It won't happen. It never really makes people content. And every Christmas, it reminds me, every Christmas and birthday present I've ever, I ever got as a kid especially has lied to me. It promised it would make me content and fulfilled and happy, but it never did. I, I vividly remember one Christmas, all I wanted was this Optimus Prime Transformer toy. And again, this came out in 1990 as well, kind of strange, but the commercials for this toy were incredible. Like, these kids were having so much fun playing with Optimus Prime, transforming, has the trailer and all. And these things are stupid expensive, right? And they're still crazy, crazy expensive. And they, it was way more money than I think my parents wanted to spend at the time, but I'm sure I was, like, annoyingly excited and pushy about it. Top of my Christmas list. And so Christmas Day comes, and they bought it for me, and I open it up, and I learn two very important lessons right out of the box, literally. The thing was broken. Cheap plastic. Doesn't last, right? And then the second thing I learned was the commercials lied. <laughs> this thing was so boring, it was no fun at all. And so 
my parents uh, take it back and they ask if I want to get a new one, and I'm like, no, let's try something else. <laughs> it was terrible. Now, listen to what the Apostle Paul wrote to the church of Philippi. He says, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Now, you hear that, that phrase a lot, I can do any, everything through him who gives me strength. But it often gets ripped out of context and applied to all sorts of stuff. The strength Paul is talking about here is the, is the strength to say, I don't have everything the world tells me I need to have to be content. He said, whether hungry or fed, in every situation, whether in plenty or in want, I don't have everything the world tells me I need to be content. Contentment is something you learn, he says. I have learned the secret of being content. And you learn that what you have is good enough. What you have is good enough because what you might have someday or what you might want won't satisfy you anyways. Now next, if money were our idol and trying to pull us away from God, I think it would say, you don't have a greed problem. You don't have to worry about being greedy because greedy people are way richer than you. You don't have enough money to be greedy. We probably wouldn't say it in those words, but that's the kind of thing that we say or think to rationalize and get around this whole thing. And so interestingly, Jesus is talking to this group of mostly very, very poor people, much poorer than you and I. And he said to them, he says, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. For your life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. And I'm going to read that little part again because I need to hear it. For your life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. And if I'm honest, I really liked that verse until Amazon Prime Day a couple weeks ago. (laughs) Did anybody else spend a little bit too much money on Amazon Prime Day? I mean, Amazon has everything. And then it's on sale. And so the joke in our house is, well, if it's on sale, that means we're saving money. And I keep asking to see the bag of money we're saving, but it never, never seems to show up. Now, have you ever noticed when you buy something new, something nice, something expensive, you end up worrying about it? You don't want anybody messing with it. You want to protect it. It takes time and energy away from you. And you've heard this before, but it's strange. We call them our possessions, but often they end up possessing us. And Martin Luther King, he said in a a great sermon once, he said, the problem about getting too involved in our possessions is we get over-involved in the possessor, which is us, and we forget our dependence on God. Isn't that true? Our possessions are often all about us. Now, Again, instead of lying to us about greed and drawing us away from God, if money were pointing us toward God, toward a deeper relationship with him, it would say, you will enjoy life more if you give than if you don't give. You will enjoy life more if you give. Jesus uh, was the smartest man who ever walked the planet. And he didn't say it's better to give than to receive. He didn't say you should give. He said, it is more blessed to give or if you go to the King James, it's more blessed to give. 
if you grew up in the church. Now, blessing is this word that Jesus uses to describe the good life. It describes this good life that we all want, and we often associate with money, with more money. And Jesus says it's available. It's not a bad thing to, to live the good life. It's not a bad thing if, if you receive that. But you enter into the good life more through giving. And the vast majority of people, I think, desire that good life, the blessed life. But I don't think we trust that God's way of achieving it is the best way. We don't trust what he has to say. And so Paul makes this really fascinating statement in Ephesians 4. He says, He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with his own hands. And not just to be honest, not just for his own self-respect. He says that he may have something to share with those in need. We're made with this desire, with this need to give. Why? Because it's more blessed to give than to receive. And you will enjoy your life more if you're generous, when you give. And this really is where faith kind of meets uh, action in our, our relationship with Christ. Do you trust? Do you trust and believe God enough to take him at his word and try that? Be more generous. Be more giving. Do you believe that? And here's the truth. I think some of us do and will reap the benefits of that blessed life. But money talks, as we're talking about. And it knows exactly what to say and when to say it to pull us back off track. And sometimes right when we're on the edge of being more generous or being more giving, it may say something like this. Giving is a good idea in theory, but it's a bad idea in practice. To be honest, I think it's very easy to kid ourselves into thinking that we are generous. We're not greedy. Oh, we hold loosely to money, at least when compared to the family next door. It's easy to say, yep, it's good that other people have enough money to be generous, uh, but have you seen my bank account lately? Have you seen my retirement fund? Have, Have you seen my credit card statement? Or it's easy to say, I bet I'm more generous than Susie. Like, sorry if there's anybody named Susie here. But look at all the things she buys herself. Bunch of junk, right? See, Jesus makes this uh, really interesting, striking statement. He makes, uh, makes several of them. He says, give, and it will be given to you. A, a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Now, understand, this isn't uh, a, a mechanical way of getting rich or anything like that. But there is this dynamic we step into when we're generous, when we give. And the reality is you cannot outgive God. You cannot outgive him. And I've never known anybody who's stepped into a, a lifestyle of generosity and regretted it. But when money's your idol, it's going to whisper to you, yeah, giving's a good idea, but not today. You can't afford it today. The Apostle Paul made this statement uh, when he was writing to the church in Corinth about another group of believers. He said, and this is so interesting, one of these like strange Bible equations. He said, out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Think about that. Overflowing joy plus extreme poverty equaled rich generosity. Isn't that interesting? One of the biggest lies money spreads is that What keeps us from being generous is just a lack of funds. 
that you really do have a generous heart. And the only reason you're not giving right now is because things are just really tight. But one day, you'll have more money, and then you'll be more generous. And the reality is that one of the most consistent findings in the world of finance is uh, people with lower incomes give away a much higher percentage of their income, of their money, than people with in the higher income brackets. And when you average that over the population, it's true year after year. And so instead, if we were using money, again, as a way to live the good life and grow closer to God, it would, it would say, you know, the time to start giving is now, not later. It's now. Don't wait till you have enough. That'll never happen. It's kind of like being completely ready to have a child. Let me tell you, you will never be completely ready to have a child. Amen. <laughs> I heard it. No matter what anyone tells you, you make up your mind to be generous beforehand from the get-go, to live a lifestyle of generosity. And the opportunities uh, to give and to be generous are all around us, aren't they? You can give to those in need. You can give to charities, to relief organizations like ADRN uh, that we talked about uh, a couple weeks ago, to missionaries. You could buy the lunch of the person behind you in the, in the fast food line. And of course, God calls his people to, to give to his, the primary work of his in the world, the local church. Now, I'm just the lowly associate pastor, but I can tell you with confidence that if you've gone to a church and thought, oh, here we go again, all they want is my money, they're just trying to get in my wallet and all that stuff, I get it, I, I hear you, but that's not what this is about. I don't bring this up because we need your money. The people of the church have been incredibly generous. God has our church. And frankly, if you're visiting this morning or you have a home church somewhere else, please support your local church, your home church, wherever you're at. The point isn't to get your money. The point is trust. And I've said this um, multiple times in sermons, but one of the best things Stephanie and I did early on in our marriage was attend a Dave Ramsey Financial Peace University class. And he gets this question all the time. Why should I give to the church? And so I'll read you his answer. He says, the Bible tells us that giving to the church is a way to show that we trust God with our lives and our finances. Giving to the church isn't for God's benefit. He doesn't need your money. Instead, it is meant for our benefit because sacrificing a portion of our income reminds us to rely on God to meet our needs. Plus, it makes us more aware of the needs of others, too. In fact, giving helps your local church actively be the church by helping others. And we share those stories of how uh, the church is helping others all the time. Giving encourages a grateful and generous spirit and can help steer us away from being greedy or loving money too much. And if you've ever heard Dave Ramsey, you, you know this last sentence is his. He says, plus, being outrageously generous is a blast. The point is God's doing something through his local church, and he wants you and me to be a part of supporting that, not because he needs the money, but because he wants our hearts. Giving and generosity, and if you grew up in the church, the whole tithing thing, that's way more of a spiritual topic than it is a financial topic. It's about living with that attitude that we've been blessed to be a blessing to others. And we will never do that if money's our idol. We'll never be there. 
Now, inevitably, the, the question comes up, well, pastor, what are you saying? Is it 10%? Is it 20%? Is it 30%? What are we really talking about here? And again, it's not the point of this, but I will, I will tell you. In the New Testament, God's actually given us freedom. He's given us freedom to be as generous or as stingy as we'd like. And God puts it this way in 2 Corinthians. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. If, if you didn't catch it, each man should give what he's decided to give in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. See, God's left it up to us. And I want to emphasize this. God loves you no matter how much you give or don't give. He loves you. And I just want you to know, as awkward as it may have been for you to sit here and hear me talk about money, it was way more awkward for me. Okay? <laughs> but I will say, we're, we're not going to take another offering or anything like that. It's not what this was about. But of all the things that can become an idol in your life, money is really at the top of the list. And Jesus says this in Matthew 6. He says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy or where your Optimus Prime toy just comes out broken. He says, And where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. I mean, Jesus said that, not me. Where your treasure is, there your heart is as well. What a perfect kind of litmus test to see if, if money really is an idol in your life. Now, this past week, as I was researching different things, I ran across this secular research paper that came out of Harvard. And I thought the title was really interesting. It said, if money doesn't make you happy, then you probably aren't spending it right. right? Now, as, <laughs> right. now, as silly as that sounds, like, listen to the summary, the abstract of this. It says, Drawing on empirical research, we propose principles designed to help consumers get more happiness for their money. Specifically, we suggest that consumers should, and they had a bunch of them, uh, but here are the top four in no particular order. First, a consumer should buy more experiences and fewer material goods. Secular research paper. Don't just accumulate a bunch of stuff. Buy more experiences. Two, Use their money to benefit others rather than themselves. Right? Three, beware of comparison shopping. And four, pay close attention to the happiness of others. Isn't that interesting how even from a, a secular research paper from Harvard, they're, they're talking about our, how we approach money should be very others-focused, not just accumulating stuff. And so, as we wrap up this message on the, the idol of money, I think it's safe to assume we all want this blessed life. We all want this, this good life that we're, we're always talking about. And we all want to bless others with what we've been given. 
We all want our money to contribute to our happiness instead of pulling us away from God and leaving us in this kind of selfish, worried, obsessive state where we're always worried about our stuff or our money or our bank accounts or our 401ks or whatever it might be. And so the question is, do you believe God when he says his desire for you is for you to live the best life possible? Do you believe him? And then if that's you, listen. Don't look to money for, your, for contentment. Be aware every single day that money is whispering to you and trying to be the most important thing in your life. Don't let it. Save more, yes. Spend, yes. Be more generous. Give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful, cheerful giver. Now, if you have more questions or you want to start getting a grip on your finances, please go get Dave Ramsey's book. It's incredible. But all this stuff, money, possessions, all of these things were God's idea. He doesn't want them to go away, but what he does want, he wants them to be a force that draws us closer to him, not that takes his place. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that you lay out how we should be approaching money. That we shouldn't look to it for contentment. That, we should, that, that should be a, a force that draws us closer to you. It should be a tool in our tool belt that, that leads us into a deeper relationship with you. And so, God, give us ears to hear the, the whispers on a daily basis of what money's trying to do. Trying to get us off track. And God, help us... Uh, use it as uh, to bless others. God, give us wisdom to be good stewards in all of those things, but give us generous hearts. Help us to be cheerful givers. God, we love you. I pray this in your name. Amen. All right, you have all the opportunity in the world to be generous this week. Go and do. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs>